Hi, Wulikanui podcast listeners. Welcome to yet another episode of the Wulikanui podcast. This is podcast episode 119. And my guest today is Ian Whiteford. He is responsible for sustainability and compliance at the Scottish company Alex Beck. Alex Beck is producing luxury scarves and throws um, made out of natural fibers, including, of course, also wool. And it was really interesting to talk to Ian about the sustainability journey the company went on over the last years. And he was very generous in sharing his experience with us. So I hope you get a lot out of this and talk to you at the end. Bye for now. Well, Ian, it's so lovely to have you on the Wool Academy podcast. Um, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Elizabeth. Um, and thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Um, I think it's really interesting what you're, what you're doing with this. So I'm very happy to be here this morning. Yes, actually, you and I met also on the Wool uh, Connect conference. And I... I, I Yeah, during one of the breaks, I invited people to to get in touch to be on the podcast, and you you yeah wrote me an email saying that you were interested without even actually knowing what the Willie Academy podcast was. So, thank you so much for for being curious and joining, <laughs> and yeah, to get us started, maybe give us a little bit of an introduction of the company Alex Beck, It's like where is it based, what do you do, etc. Okay, well, Alex Begg is a Scottish weaving and finishing company. So we um, start with dyed yarn and we weave it and finish it into mostly accessories, mostly scarves, um, some stoles, and we do a little bit of um, home, home um, wear as well. Um, so rugs. Um, We are based in Ayr in the west, west coast of Scotland. Um, we're um, 160 years old nearly. Um, so we go back quite a long time um, and we are about 120 people. We are current, we're owned by Linden Gruppen. Linden Gruppen is a Swedish family owned company um, and we're a relatively small part of that. Um, what else to say about uh, Alex Beck? So we, our main materials that we use are animal fibers. So we use a lot of wool. Okay. Uh, by weight, wool is our main mm -hmm. material. And we use cashmere um, and angora and a little bit of silk. Um, and very, very small amounts of cotton and linen, but mostly we're uh, animal fibers. We have our own brand, um, which is called Began Co. And we also manufacture for some of the top um, fashion uh, brands in Europe. So uh, we've got two oh, outlets for our products. Um, so very yeah, much. And then the also tell yeah. us. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. But also tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Alex Beg. So I've been with um, Alex Beg for just over five years now. Um, I look after uh, sustainability and compliance. So um, 
two parts to the role and the, the compliance part, um, which I think for most people is the, le the less interesting uh, part is about the management standards and the management system. So we're certified uh, for quality, ISO 9000 for environment, ISO 14000 for energy management, ISO 50000. And we have, a, we have a management system that holds all of that together. And the sustainability part um, was, has been a journey for me and also for the company, um, because five years ago when I joined, we didn't have a sustainability manager. Um, so for me, it's been a great opportunity to um, start something off um, to develop a strategy and a structure uh, for sustainability. And it's been the, be the beginning of the company's formal journey with sustainability. Um, of course, there was work being done before that, but I think in a formal sense and a structured and disciplined sense, um, the last five years has been um, the beginning of, a, of that formal journey. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about sustainability um, in, in a little while later. But before we dive into that, maybe also tell us a little bit about the history. You said 160 years. Um, do yes. you know? Well, we, we know less than we'd like, actually, because we had a big party a few years ago to celebrate 150. And um, we know that the company started in Paisley. Um, which is also in the west of Scotland. And Paisley has a long history with textiles. Um, so Coates, the, the threads company, was started in Paisley and actually has shaped um, quite a lot of um, Paisley. Uh, there are Coates Memorial buildings still around Paisley. Um, so Begg started there and at some point, um, I think early in the 20th century moved to air um, and has been in air ever since. We have expanded quite a bit. Um, our, so our buildings are, of, uh, they're put together a bit like a jigsaw. Um, we are much bigger than we look from the front. Um, at some point we, as the cashmere industry developed, um, we started um, weaving cashmere and um, moved into more of the luxury sector. And then a few years ago, we started our own brand. Um, so that's been the that's been the development. But I think, as with many companies, um, it's hard to to get back to what what the history is. And of course, we've been through a few different ownerships. Um, there was somebody called Alex Begg, um, of course, when it started, um, and Linden Gruppen has been, uh, has owned us for, for a few years now. Yeah, and what you say that you um, have like all these clusters of buildings, I think that's quite typical, in, at least in Europe, uh, where things have just grown organically and you just had to add another warehouse or another part <laughs> for machinery. So I've seen that quite a bit, but I like how you say we look, we are much bigger than what we look on the front. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. 
And one last question that I'm curious about. Uh, so you say you source mainly animal fibers and where do you, do you, are you particular about where you source your animal fibers from? Well, I think because we sit at the very top of the supply chain, um, our understanding of our um, of where the fibers come from has been fairly recent, but it's work that we've been doing um, before I started, but probably only in the last 10 or so years. So um, our Angora, we source um, as Caregora, so it's it's ethical Angora, it's um, certified to very high standards of animal welfare. Um, the cashmere is something that we're working on in terms of sourcing it, but it's it, it's both Mongolian and Chinese cashmere, um, about 50-50 of those two. Um, and the wool, which I, I guess is the Wool Academy podcast, and and um, and wool is our um, the main fibre that we use by volume. Um, most of the wool is um, Australian merino, uh, and most of it's coming through New England wool and is certified um, under the sustainable scheme. Okay. Um, we would have we have some other wool, and that's really, but it's chosen by the spinners. But it's something that we're actively working on um, to understand better where all our materials are coming from. But the vast majority of our wool is is under the sustainable wool scheme. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, you mentioned already that sustainability has been a journey for the past few years um, at Alex Beck. So maybe tell us a little bit, like, why did this journey start and, and kind of how did it develop to where you are today? Um, I think the... Um, when we talk about the uh, our sustainability um, journey, it's it's partly, uh, and I think principally uh, driven by Linden Group, and so our owner is um, very, um, very interested and very keen, very personally committed on sustainability. Um, so that's that I think was probably uh, the reason that the company. Um, I suppose appointed me and that's what that's why I've got my job so obviously I'm very happy about that um, and that's that that's very important there are so, of course some external drivers as well um, one of those being legislation um, in the UK as I think in throughout Europe and probably throughout the world the um, the legislation on uh, environmental issues is increasing and even in the few years I've been with Alex Begg we've seen legislation on energy management we've seen legislation on waste uh, we've seen a, a, a tightening of our effluent standards um, and obviously there's more environmental legislation to come um, and the other driver is from our customers um, so particularly with the big brands, um, they have um, a lot of requirements, which are not necessarily difficult for us to meet um, in what we do. But I think the communication of those, the assurance of those, um, 
and the uh, the management of those does require a lot of resource and, and requires that we are uh, professional in our approach to them and that we have proper documentation. So that's um, alongside the owner legislation um, and customers. Um, I think when I talked particularly to, to, um, to new employees, um, but to uh, people within uh, Alex Begg, I say that those, so those, those are from, in a sense, from outside, but I'm really keen that Alex Begg should be known as a company that is passionate about sustainability, that, that the, the drivers are internal and that, that, we're, um, that we're knowledgeable about sustainability issues for us in our supply chain um, and that we're keen to implement um, improvements and solutions and to have some vision for um, being a company that's, uh, even though we're small, that we're leaders in sustainability. Yeah, and you shared your um, sustainability report with me, and I, I read through it, and I thought, and we'll talk more in detail about some aspects, but I, I thought you can already see from what you have done so far that there is a very large commitment from employees as well uh, to implement uh, your sustainability goals. And one thing that came to uh, that my attention and because I have never really worked with it was the materiality analysis. Um, can you maybe explain the concept of that and, and kind of what insights you discovered through the materiality analysis? So the materiality analysis was something that was introduced to us uh, by Linden Gruppen. Um, so and I think the approach that Linden Gruppen has is to encourage companies to work in sustainability, but not to try and um, make all of the companies that they own the same, because actually we work in very diverse markets. Um, but that's, that's where, it was, it, that's where uh, it was introduced to us. It is, a, it is a common tool in sustainability. And I think its power comes from um, the two perspectives. So it's a, um, it's a graph with the two axes. The one is what is important to the company and what, which issues are significant for the company to, um, to work on. And the second is which issues are important to external stakeholders. Um, and so you plot um, the principal issues as to your, their importance to you internally and their importance to external. And of course, the idea is that you would work primarily on the issues that are important in both respects. Um, and I think its value has been um, that it brings the two voices together um, in that it's easy for you to work on things that are easy for yourself or that are important for yourself, but it brings a formality of listening to other, other voices. So for example, one of our customers, and this, this has only happened in the last year, one of our customers um, has started talking to us about water management. Now, anyone who knows anything about the west coast of Scotland knows that water shortage is not an issue <laughs> that we would ever, uh, mm -hmm. that we, we would ever can even consider. Uh, we have we have too much of it, um, <laughs> but it has made us think about 
water management uh, and uh, how much water we use and indeed the energy that's required to produce water that the that the the water companies use to to deliver water to us and so we've started um this year um to to take our first steps on water management and undoubtedly when we do our materiality analysis at the beginning of next year you know water management will be will be on it which it hasn't been before uh, mm -hmm. and that's because of a customer starting to ask us questions and um to look for some evidence that we're, we're managing our water. And what I also saw that you then connected to this materiality analysis is also kind of what drives innovation. You you had like different, if I understood correctly, that you also looked like what, what helps us, you know, drive innovation and improve our business in, in a sense. Yeah, so we, we have tried to um, link the um, the issues which we are on our materiality analysis back to our strategic um, five-year strategic plan and innovation is uh, a key part of our uh, strategic plan so we're particularly looking for um, things which appear in our materiality which would 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 drive innovation um, as well as making a difference is another key platform mm -hmm. of our um, five-year uh, strategy that we want to be a company that um, doesn't just make scarves, uh, it doesn't just um, employ people well, but, but, but makes a difference. Yeah, but that also shows the importance of having sustainability really integrated within your business goals. And, and I think that shows it quite clearly how you did it. Um, well, yes. Th th thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for saying that. I'm I'm, gl I'm glad it does because I think the um, one of the challenges that I think sustainability professionals face in companies is that um, sustainability can become um, just a series of stories of of things we're doing. Now, uh, I I know you're. A communications professional <laughs> and so you you know and, i like I, stories yeah. <laughs> you like stories and I, and I and i like stories too and I've, I've really tried in the sustainability report to to put stories but um i think um so my original background is as a scientist and so for me it's really important to hang the stories together and to have an underlying structure and a meaning and to say um these stories are important because this is our direction. This story connects with with that story. You know, here's here's how it all hangs together, mm. um, and that's what's led us to the um, sustainable development goals in sustainability yeah. reporting as well. Yeah, exactly. That was also something I noticed that all your your goals or your all your efforts are also connected or linked to achieving or supporting of achieving the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. Um, so which of the goals did you decide to, to work towards of the SDGs, as we say in short? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think it wasn't so much um, that we chose some goals. I, I, I think, um, again, I was keen that, that 
I don't want our sustainability to be just talk uh, and 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 things that are not rooted in in reality. So it was more, I think, saying there are some goals which where we can make a difference, and those are the ones that should be important to us because, of course, there's 17 and um, we're a small company, so we shouldn't try and work on everything. So um, decent work, number eight, is one that's important because not only can we make work within the company good, uh, attractive, well-paid, but also we can affect, we can have some effect outside of the company by the suppliers we choose, by where we place our business, um, so we, we have some impact there. Uh, responsible consumption, of course, that would be important for a manufacturing company um, to uh, that, that's interested in sustainability and that's working on sustainability. That whole thing about what we consume, uh, what our supply chain consumes, how we relate to um, our customers as consumers. Um, Number 15, life on land, perhaps seems a little bit um, off uh, from the others, but I think because of our work um, down the supply chain now, um, we are in touch with um, Sustainable and uh, obviously they're doing work through their members who are Australian sheep farmers. Um, on management of the land. And through the Sustainable Fibre Alliance and the Kashmir supply chain, um, that's very much part of their work in Mongolia. So uh, because we're related to those two organizations and we're committed to, the, to them and investing in them, we feel we've got some influence on life and land. And the last one um, that is that we're particularly feel we've got some contribution is about partnership. And again, because we're a small um, company partnerships really important to us, um, but also we we actively are working on partnerships. Um, the sustainable sustainable fibre lines I've mentioned. Uh, we work with universities. We did a, a project with students um, last year on um, using some of our excess and waste material for their honours projects to design to design new garments. Um, we work with NGOs um, and um, through Sustainable Fibre Alliance, we've actually found ourselves working with customers, suppliers and competitors, which is a really interesting uh, <laughs> dynamic. Um, so that partnership aspect is really important for us as well. So those are the four that we count as our main, because mm -hmm. we've got um, our main emphasis, because we've got some degree of activity that is contributing towards those. Yeah, but yeah, you say that life on land, the goal life on land, is it 15 life on land? 15 um, yeah. is life on land, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've got notes here, but yeah, so I'm very impressed that you, you knew that. <laughs> yeah, I have notes. been looking at them also for, for many times, uh, but I don't know them all by heart. But yeah, I know that life on land is green, and I think I remember the 15 being on there as well. But for me, like anyone who is working with wool, no matter where in the supply chain has a positive impact or has an impact mm, on yeah. life on land. So for me, that's a natural goal that I think the wool industry 
or any animal fiber industry is working towards. So I, th I find that quite logic. <laughs> yeah, well, I was really interested uh, in your uh, one of the recent podcasts where you were talking about um, in wool farmers in particular as being guardians of the land. And I think that's something that as I've started to visit uh, and, and, and you know, look at where our fibres come from that um, is really important. It's not just material, it's about what is happening to the land. And I think in current times, as the, the discussion discussions on sustainability widen, I think that is a, it's a really important aspect of um, what's happening with anyone who's using wool products or indeed the meat that comes from mm -hmm. um, the, the animals as well, because that's the, the, these are always in, in parallel, of course, but that that idea of managing the land and looking after the land, I think, is um, is something that um, needs to be explored more more fully. But it's yeah, a really important definitely. aspect. Yeah, yeah, that was the interview with Richard Doherty, and um, yeah, it was really I, I like that went on forever that interview because it was so interesting <laughs> to talk to him. And um, yeah, also what I so we already talked about the importance of partnerships, and you already mentioned the Kashmir. Um, where you have a Kashmir project and you're connecting directly with herders in Mongolia. So tell us a little bit about that, more about that project and maybe also if you can share, like was it difficult for you as a company to make that step of connecting directly with the beginning of the supply chain? Um, or is there something you learned and that might help other companies also make that first step of connecting directly? Um, yes. Okay, well, I think it's, it would be true to say that we were inspired by the traceability of our wool supply and indeed our Angora supply. Angora is a little bit easier because the rabbits are all together <laughs> on a farm, you know, so there's only, you only you need one farm to, to get a lot of Angora. Um, but the, but the, the traceability that we knew was there through Sustainawool, uh, but also through the whole Australian wool um, auctioning system and through certification of non-moolsing. When we looked at our cashmere supply chain uh, and asked our spinners about traceability, you know, there was just nothing like that. Um, so... There was a fortunate coincidence then of the Sustainable Fibre Alliance starting, and um, we were early members of the, the SFA, um, and it was set up deliberately to link brands, um, European luxury cashmere brands, with, um, with the supply chain in Mongolia. So... Um, our first visit to Mongolia was uh, to an SFA conference, but alongside going to the conference, we took the opportunity through contacts um, that we had um, to visit um, some Mongolian herders. And that was like a feasibility study. And we came back from that um, for the two of us who went, it was our first trip to Mongolia and it was a, 
a business trip like no other. <laughs> yeah, and more yeah. of an adventure trip, I guess. It was, yeah, <laughs> sleeping on the ground and driving a thousand kilometers. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was great. I and mean, it was just fantastic. But, but I think we came back feeling there, there, there is, there are possibilities here. Um, and I think the work we've been doing in that has been uh, pioneering just to, you know, to a very real uh, level. Um, we are fortunate, I think, in that we're relatively small. And so we've been able to be very focused. You know, we can, um, we can go and we've bought Kashmir or our agent has bought Kashmir from um, areas that we have personally visited. And then we're able to keep our own custody of that back to um, Mongolia, to Ulaanbaatar. Um, it's processed and then it's transferred to, to European spinner, European spinners. And then, then we, we, we buy the dyed, the dyed cashmere. So I think the, um, for me, the lessons I think we've learned, and, and we're by no means at the end of this journey, um, there's still quite a lot of work to do. Um, a in Mongolia and then B, of course, SFA is starting to do some work in China, but that, that's only a very early stage. Um, so the lessons I think we've learned are about um, the importance of on the ground contacts. And I think the, the importance of finding people who are of a like mind. And that is probably particularly true for a small organization because we're not, you know, we don't have enough money or enough business to offer to, um, make people do what we want but i feel that's never a great idea anyway that yeah. it's um that business works much better when you find people who you have relationship with who you've met um and who are of a like mind uh, and who are interested in the same things and, and and working in the same way so i think that that's a really important lesson and um Probably the other lesson is about um, being willing to go down uh, some blind alleys and to um, experiment and to get to get things wrong. But it does uh, it does take money and resource and commitment um, undoubtedly to to do those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And you also with sustainable. You said you source your wool based on the sustainable scheme do you have you also visited already some sheep farmers or is that like a plan to do that and connect more directly with so sheep my, farmers? um yeah my my colleague um visited um just before i joined uh big so unfortunately i missed that and i haven't been mm. to australia um <laughs> Uh, I, I I would love to, to to see the the sheep farm uh, the sheep farms and and um, actually my, my first my my one of my first jobs as a student was unloading wool in a wool warehouse in the north of Scotland <laughs> and so I've I've probably I've lifted tons of wool over that summer but <laughs> but it took me a long time to come back to the textile um, and, and wool industry but uh, I did have some early experience of, <laughs> uh, of being close up with wool um, so we did visit um, I think six seven years ago now but I think our um, our experience in Mongolia has made us think that it's good to have traceability, but 
perhaps we should be thinking about taking that a step further and trying to make some specific links with farms um, rather than just saying we're, we're going to buy through the sustainable wool program generally um, because that because of the the excellent traceability that there is in in wool that um, I think we're not making the most of what's on offer there so wool sent us wool traceability sent us to Mongolia and <laughs> because in Mongolia we we're we've got um, direct links to farms and I think that's now sending us back to Australia and saying <laughs> well maybe maybe we should um, take that further as well so it's that kind of learning and sh the learning multiplying is has been a uh, is a good journey yeah and actually that was also kind of one of the key messages that came out of the wool connect conference of because we we had all stakeholders joining the event and we had different i mean sustainable was also there presenting and different sustainability schemes and track and trace options were there um so yeah what made you decide to join the conference and then what was your key takeaway from from that conference well i had had some discussions um not long before the conference if i do was uh, through sustainable that um i heard about it um and um while uh do you know while while covid has and the, the all the lockdowns have posed a lot of challenges to us i think the the format of that conference was something that was more easily accessible so i might not even have traveled to london for a few days to mm. do that um and and you know almost certainly wouldn't have traveled to australia or wherever else but i think yeah. just that the form of it allowed us to dip in for those two three hours a day um and 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 it was i mean the variety of people and perspectives you had was 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 really great um so i learned a lot technically from it um but it was that sense of um of course it's more complicated than always than than you think but that complexity brings a richness to us to it as well and i i think the um there was a stimulus and a challenge to um work more along the supply chain um because i think for all of us um the the work um work means more when it has a wider meaning mm -hmm. um and so to take um for us to take yarn and make scarves you know we understand that well um <laughs> but to know that that comes from australia and people there are you know because they live in sheep farms that that affects their their life and it affects the land in australia and then news from australia on bushfires or whatever has more meaning to us because it affects people that we know um and to understand that people in in yorkshire and people in italy are spinning yarns and dyeing and controlling the chemicals in it you know it's now it's not just a raw materials that sit in stores there's all that um, human investment in it and environmental control and environmental impact that is part of our raw materials. Um, and equally, those are understanding that those materials are going to be sold in um, expensive shops in Paris um, 
and uh, be shown in fashion shows. That's amazing complexity for a just a scarf. A simple, yeah. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can't say just a scarf for this podcast. <laughs> but yes, exactly, exactly right. Mm. Um, so I think that sense of, of complexity of the supply chain and how interesting supply chains can be, mm. even for, a, it, of course, scarves are a relatively simple, um, you know, there's, there's one or two raw materials. Um, but so they are relatively simple items, but the 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 complexity and uh, how interesting supply chains are, I think, is something that came across very strongly. Yeah, and for me, the more complexity and you know that's like we know about the the scarf that adds value, an extra layer of value, because the scarf is already has the value of luxury and comfort and you know. But then it, knowing all this, and it adds these stories, as we already said earlier, and that also creates more value and, and, and engages everyone, not only everyone in the supply chain, but also the consumer can engage much more and identify much more with just a scarf. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And, and um, consumer communication is something we haven't um, uh, engaged in too much yet, uh, consumer communication about our supply chain, but I think that's something for the future. Everyone's yeah. saying that consumers are getting more interested and I think it's something that we need to look at a bit mm. more. Yeah. yeah. And because you already said that one of your conclusions was that we do need to work more together along the supply chain, what would be like one of the first things you would say we should work on first? Um, that the wool industry generally should work on Mm -hmm. <laughs> right okay um oh i well i'd hesitate <laughs> i'd hesitate from my limited experience to give to give advice to the to, to the, to the <laughs> wool industry but i think the um i think the 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 story of looking after the land is definitely undersold that that's that would be i i think for 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 me and, and our particular corner of the of the wool industry, that's something that I would like to understand a bit more about and be able to communicate a bit more about. So um, that that I think would be my one thing that I feel is a bit of a weakness. Um, and there were some, you know, there were some uh, there were some moments of sharp discussion and the conference about uh, you know about sourcing and about um, about farming but I, th I, I think the the story of farming and the importance of farming and the import and, and the potential benefits of it um, that story is 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 undersold and and is is not told enough at the moment yeah okay that's a really uh, yeah insightful um, analysis so I think and I, I'm fully on board with what you said and I think I also mentioned that in, in the last podcast that we become like wool growers maybe are not only wool growers anymore they're stewards of the land or climate heroes or something like that their their job role also changes and they in that sense yes and I think I think that the 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 expertise and knowledge that's there as well um because sometimes you um, get the impression that it's 
um, those at the top of the supply chain, you know, the, 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 those who are selling, who've got shops and who've got a lot of money who are sending requirements down the supply chain. And actually, uh, the, I think that underestimates a lot the expertise that there is in the supply chain and, and in what we're talking about just now in the way that um, farmers and, and, and herders in Mongolia look after the land and understand the land and, and have a very strong um, expertise that um, should be understood and valued. So it's not about um, brands at the top placing demands down the supply chain. It's about um, recognizing the, the, the skills and knowledge that are, are already there. Yeah, and that needs more of a dialogue to, to better understand each other, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ian, it was really, really lovely talking to you. I really appreciate uh, you sharing all those insights of the work that you do at Alex Beck. And I'll make sure to link to your company's website and also to the brand, which is Beg and Co. Beg and Co. Yeah. Beg yeah, Beg X Co. Is um, ah yeah okay. Yeah. And uh, those just scarves are really really beautiful, made <laughs> of wonderful natural uh, fibers, including wool. So I think everyone should check them out and and follow a little bit your sustainability sustainability journey as you explained it to us today. So thank you so much um, and I wish you well for all the work, important work that you're doing. Well, thanks very much for, for your interest, Elizabeth, and it's been, it's been great to talk to you. So thanks, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Hello, I do hope you enjoyed today's episode with Ian Whiteford from Alex Begg. And if you want to find out more about Alex Beck and the work that Ian has been doing at the company, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 119. And I will link uh, to everything that we mentioned in today's episode. So I hope you're keeping safe and that you will be joining me again in two weeks time. And bye for now.